on a two-week holiday to the Maldives. Um, they've got five-star hotel lined up, and uh, they're going to be travelling first class. And it, it's all expenses paid as well. Do they complain about the uncomfortableness of the chairs in the departure lounge? It's a question we'll think about and come back to that later. Uh, let's consider something a little bit more of a realm of reality at the moment, because I guess most of us aren't going to be going on holidays like that soon. <laughs> Hugo Rifkin in uh, The Spectator recently wrote a fascinating article. It was entitled uh, like this, If Philip Seymour Hoffman wasn't happy, what hope is there for us? Any of you know Philip Seymour Hoffman, who was the uh, uh, Oscar-winning millionaire, critically acclaimed um, actor? Uh, unique in many ways, because uh, both the acting world and, and, the, and the press and the viewers all loved him. And yet, very sadly, he committed suicide uh, recently, as you well know, in New York. This man seemed to have it all, and, and Rifkin commented, uh, commented on the end of his um, article. He said this, You know, the only form of fame I can think of that doesn't routinely churn out alcoholism, addiction, and dysfunction by early middle age, question, politics. It's worth thinking about that, he continues. I mean, sure, everybody can name a few, but it doesn't seem the norm, does it? I wonder if that's because it's the only form of fame that doesn't come with adulation. Tell a man he's brilliant every time he goes to work, and maybe he simply ends up needing a crutch to blot out the terror that one day the praise may stop. Tell him he's rubbish... uh, Though a charlatan, a moron, a backstabbing, self-enriching, egotistical fraud, and perhaps the eventual silence comes as a blessed relief. Now, turning to Isaiah 65 now, I think the main practical application of this section of Isaiah that we're looking at today is how we live is shaped by the hope that we have. I mean, Philip Seymour Hoffman, you know who he is, and he seemed to have it all. With one exception, hope. And the hope we have changes everything, and that's why a vision of heaven, given by God through Isaiah, which is what you've got in front of you, should not only interest us, but it ought to define us, if we are Christians. So we get to our opening point, heaven is a glorious hope or a glorious hopes. What is heaven like? Often we, we struggle, don't we, to kind of put it into words, but it really matters because how we live is shaped by the hope we have. And the Bible tells us uh, hope in heaven gives us faith in God and love for other people, Colossians 1 verse 5. Motivation to fight sin, 1 John 3, enables us to endure hardship with perseverance, Romans 5. But most of us, we struggle, don't we, to imagine what heaven is really like. And what happens, therefore? I I think our hearts struggle to latch on to really what it truly is. Instead, we end up hoping, like I guess everyone else around us. Functionally, we begin to hope in things like our careers, uh, the wealth that we enjoy, the education that we have, our houses, uh, the relationships that grip our hearts. The problem is, though, if, if you only hope in the things of today, then ultimately, and I think many of you know this, they're going to let you down. Well, they're good things, aren't they? But all of them will be crushed by the weight of expectation that you place on them. So let's take, for example, your wife, if you're married, or your husband. If you place an expectation on them for ultimate satisfaction, they will let you down. 
you know that. Flip side, if you look to porn, that will let you down too. Oh, let's think about security. If you look to work, your your employment, the, the wage coming, if you look to that for your ultimate security, you will crush your career with a weight of expectation that it was never designed to give you. You'll always feel disappointed with it. But if you let your wife be a wife, and your jobs uh, be a, a means of temporary security, but not ultimate security, if you let your accommodation, wherever you live, be a, a refuge and a home, but a, not an ultimate place of rest, well, you can enjoy those blessings for what they are, but they're not your saviour. They're not your ultimate purpose. And they're not your ultimate joy. None of them are strong enough to give you hope and for you to build your life upon them. But wonder, I do wonder, I, I wonder if you're functionally as I have been and continue to, to be very sadly at times. Because sometimes those things we just mentioned, they're kind of all I want sometimes. They consume my heart and my mind. But without a true and clear understanding of the hope that we can have in heaven, then we're all, always going to struggle with this, aren't we? We will have nothing to sustain us as we struggle against sin. Nothing to say, oh, it's absolutely worth it to trust in God. Well, the Bible says that we can. We can know what heaven is like. And it's not as we see on the TV programs or the, on the adverts. A popular view of heaven, I guess, is, in some ways, it's more Buddhist than biblical. There's, there's loads of clouds, aren't there? But there's not much matter around. So it's worth getting clear on our real hope, the hope of heaven. Because the hope that you have shapes the life that you live now. And Isaiah 65 is this wonderful glimpse, and as we title this talk, of the glorious hope. Isaiah is looking forward to the restoration, of course, that God will bring. Uh, The people are about to go into exile under Babylonian rule. And he's pointing forward to their restoration back into the land under God. Knowing his, his blessing and his presence. But it's pointing forward as well, further, to where God will restore all things as he has promised. And we see that here. Let's turn to our first point. And we see there the new heavens and the new earth. God once again is going to create. He's going to make something new and wonderful. God will notice it speak. And physical matter will be formed, renewed, restored. It's an interesting aside, and I'd love to spend more time on it, but notice the power of God's word. Don't underestimate it. Neglect it. It's more powerful than anything we know. A couple of points under this, though. Notice it will be physical. There is a new heavens and a new earth in verse 17. Oh, it's like this earth. One commentator I was reading said, oh, it's kind of creation 2.0. You know what it's like. You know, kind of... It's the, it's the upgrade. It's the next. Look at all the computer guys. They're all chuckling away to themselves over there. Hey, we know what we're talking about. Um, you know, of course, we'll swim, we'll ski, uh, we'll enjoy eating and drinking. God will create something physical, and it will be amazing. Next little thing. It will be similar, but it will be different. God is going to make a brand new entire creation. Oh, we don't know exactly what, the sky may be different, the ground may be different. We don't know the detail, if you like, but there will be continuity. We can be sure that what will remain will be the most beautiful, the most uh, wonderful parts of the creation that we enjoy today. 
As we see, we won't even remember the former things it says there. It's not that a kind of God will wipe our minds and say, oh, remember the Grand Canyon? No, I'm going to take that bit out for you. No, not that. Our minds will not be wiped, but it, is, it will be so wonderful in the new heavens and the new earth that we won't remember the former things. That's why I just read out the 2 Corinthians 4 there, because our light and momentary afflictions, that which we know in this life which are tough and difficult, they will be outweighed by the glory to come. Just be all-consuming. I don't know if you remember Super Saturday. I don't even remember the guy who won the, on long jump or whatever it was, you know, the ginger guy. Anyway, um, yeah, it went on. They got Jessica Ernest and it all kind of built up, didn't it? You got to Mo Farah. Mo Farah. We all remember it. Steve Crown nearly screaming and weeping in the commentary. It was wonderful. And, you know, they go around 9,600 metres. Gordon would have kept up, of course, sure. But, you know, you're going around and then you get to the last lap. And none of us. Even Gordon could run that last lap at the pace they ran it. And you remember their faces, don't you? Because you were on the edge of your seats. And you could see Moe's Farrow's face. It was quite, you know, you could see the expression. And he gave everything, didn't he? And he crossed the line. And I don't know if you remember it, but did you notice how everyone fell to the floor? Everyone, they were utterly exhausted. There was one man who was actually sick. Except one. Oh, Mo Farrow had probably run the hardest. He got round, but he was the one that stood up and all this kind of stuff, giving it everything for the crowd. He loved it. Why? Well, getting to heaven, I guess it's like winning the gold. The gold kind of erases the agony. It will make everything worthwhile. So verse 18, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create, for I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and it's people of joy. See, the, 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 the new Jerusalem have the same great things uh, that, were, that were wonderful and, and to, uh, about the old Jerusalem. That will be with God's people and will be with him as well. That's most important. You notice there it says, he will take delight in his people. Oh, even though he knows how much you and I have perhaps indulged sin this week. Even he knows when you and I have said, we had a conversation and with all good content, we intent, we, we were so going to invite them and, they, and then we bottled it. God knows that. But he's still going to take delight in his people. Sadly, I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I imagine that God will tolerate me in heaven. No, that's wrong. He will delight in me. And you, if you've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's, he's got a place here to one of the, use, use one of the other images of, of the new heavens and the new earth. He, he's set a place at the banquet. And he's waiting for you. He's busily kind of making preparations, polishing the knives and forks ready for you. And the, and the glasses, getting the choice wine out ready for you. And there's a glow in his face while he does it. Because he loves you. He delights in you. And it is why Jesus came to die on the cross, so that we might be made right, fit for that banquet. So that we're entrusting in his death and resurrection and his perfect life. That can be counted as ours. So we stand before God or sit beside God at this eternal banquet. And our sin is not an obstacle. Now he delights in us because he sees the perfect life of Christ. 
God delights in his children. Uh, Zephaniah 3 is a wonderful little passage where he shows that he even <clears throat> sings over us with joy. God will be beaming with delight as he sees you. Not tolerating you. He'll love you. Verse 19, I, I think I don't want to say too much about this. But I know it's poignant for many. There will be no crying or weeping. Never. Anything that has made you cry in this world cannot be in the next. Anything that has made you cry in this world cannot be in the next. So behold, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. We've had a glimpse. Let's go on. Excuse the cheesy, uh, tricky thing here for point two. Live long and prosper. Verse 20 to 24. I guess the point here mainly is that we will forever live with God. And it will never be boring. Never be boring. Now, we need to remember, this is poetry. Let's dive into the text a little bit. So verse 20 is not saying that people uh, will die in heaven, but it's poetic. They'll get to 100 before they drop dead. That's, that's his point. But given modern medicine, we're kind of going, hey, hey, that's not very impressive. The Queen's writing a lot of cards these days. You know, that's not so good. But it's a poetic way of saying people will go on living. So no one will ever hold a newborn baby for a couple of days, watch it struggle, and then finally give up and die and be buried in a tiny coffin. No one will ever retire and later find that they have an aggressive cancer and battle and then lose that battle. Never. In Isaiah's day, getting to 100 was a massive thing, but the point is that in the new creation, everyone will live to 100 and beyond, infinitely. And verse 22, he goes on as far to say that we'll live like trees. Once again, it's poetry, so don't panic too much that you're going to get some branches. There is one. It's the oldest tree in the world. First glance, you might think, oh, that's not very impressive, is it? It's a tree. But it's 4,846 years old, and it's called Methuselah. And Isaiah's point is the same. It's poetic, saying you're going to live a heck of a long time, infinitely. And Isaiah knows in his kindness, and God knows in his kindness, we can't get our heads around that. My son, Zach, you know, keeps waking up at about 10 o'clock at night, walking downstairs and asking questions about infinity. There's something wrong there. Oh, no, but Isaiah knows that we can't get it. So he gives something we can hold on to. That is a tree. And Isaiah, he's already pointed, uh, pointed out in, back in chapter 25, verse 69, that God has swallowed up death forever. We will live long. That's the point here. However poetic the language, we'll continue to live forever. I don't know if you've ever seen that great film, Groundhog Day. It's a bit old. It kind of shows my age a bit. But I think many of you will know it. You'll know the, kind of, the point of that film is that the day keeps repeating, doesn't it? And you know the, kind of the potentiality of that. Uh, one day, the main character learns to play the piano. He becomes like a concert pianist over a number of days because it impresses his girlfriend. Then he, then he turns to ice sculpture. It's all to woo a lady. And, you know, that's it. But the possibilities, have you ever thought about it as a new creation? They are endless, aren't they? There will never be a sense of the clock ticking, of the back hurting. There'll be a time to invest in the things that you'd love to have invested in in this life, but you never had the opportunity, the chance, or the money. I want to be able to play jazz that makes people grimace. You know those chords that you think they're all wrong, but they're right? Ooh. <laughs> I've never been able to do that, but I want to, and I'm going to learn. 
Sailing the southern oceans on my list as well. Surfing Jaws, which is a big wave in Hawaii. Drawing with a fine point pen. I've always wanted to do that. Cooking meat. Well, you knew that anyway. But, you know, that cooking meat. Swimming in a blue warm sea. I've never done that. And I want to. I'd love to. And I'll have a millennia after millennia after millennia to refine and enjoy all of those things and much, 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 much more. In the new creation, there will, there will always be the thought that tomorrow is going to be deeper and more joyful and richer and brighter. Look at verse 21, if you can, with me. Interestingly, there's work. And I know before you groan, just look at it a second. Because now when you work, you'll get the benefits. It'll no longer be toil. Think back to Genesis in the garden there. Verse 21, they'll build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. In verse 23, again, that they will not toil in vain or bear children doomed to misfortune. You only have to look at the faces of those who, as they walk into the station at Earlsfield tomorrow morning, to see that, yes, it's, there is a blessing to work, but there's also toil. And you know that. In the new creation, no one will take credit for your work. You'll never have that feeling of the, the last morning of your holiday. You'll never have that feeling of aching pain and death looming on the horizon for you or a loved one. You will never see a funeral. You will never see a cemetery. There will be no more crying. No more relationship ending. Never waving goodbye, only arms open in welcome and love. But why will we live so long? Look at the end of verse 23. There will, be my, there will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. It's kind of pointing us back to Genesis. And death, if you know, was part of the curse that Adam brought to all humanity in the garden. And now they and their descendants know only blessing. There's no curse. Which ultimately means life and not death forever. Verse 24, before they call, I will answer. While they are speaking, I will hear. It's interesting, I, I kind of push this a little bit. But I'm not sure that we even need to pray because we'll have everything that we could possibly want. There'll no, be no need to grow in our faith in heaven because we'll be face to face with God. I'm sure, we'll, of course, we'll communicate with God in a most wonderful way, whether we call it prayer or not. It doesn't, but it'll, we'll have everything we need. God will not need to hold back things as he does from us now to refine us, to make, help us to trust him. He will give us everything. We won't need to ask for anything. It will always be there. And the most amazing thing is that God is at the heart of it all, as he was back in the garden. So imagine heaven. What, what are you thinking of right now? Are you thinking of beaches and, and waves? beautiful clouds and, and wonderful warm seas or are you the mountain type and thinking snow powder bowls freshly dumped snow for you so you can make those tracks yourself is that what you're thinking i guess my question is where is god in that is he still distant have you relegated him to kind of a, a benevolent host or that very british kind of benefactor who remains aloof no, God is right there in the centre. Oh, I'm pushing the imagery there. But you know, imagine you're sat there on your lounger enjoying a lovely drink in the hot sun and enjoying the wonderful view of God's new creation. No, God is right there. 
as he is now by his spirit in your heart. Oh, you'll enjoy his time and his wisdom and his understanding. He will delight in you. It sounds weird, but he might even sing over you. You've got to get used to that. He'll be generous and beautiful. He will have redeemed all things and we will enjoy him more than anything else. Our deepest longings, even now, are are to know and be known by God. Now, sometimes we don't ever realise that. And we try to satisfy those longings elsewhere. But there, in the new creation, God will satisfy every one of our longings. We'll be able to see our creator, our redeemer, our Lord, face to face. And nothing will be better or more glorious than that. He will come around, and uh, this is me personally, he'll come around and he'll, he'll take me down to this beautiful jetty and there'll be a a 60-foot catamaran waiting for me. And he'll boom out with his wonderful voice rejoicing, you thought the southern oceans were good. You wait to see what I've got prepared for you. And he'll take me to the biggest and the most exciting ocean and I will sail it. And I won't have to get back for a meeting. I won't have to go and do something and, uh, you know, to take me away from it. I, I won't have any pain in my back and I will be able to sup on a cool, wonderful, heavenly new creation beer and trimming the sails as I go, circumnavigating the best ocean of them all. Why? Because it's the one that God has prepared for me. Because he loves me and he'll delight over me as I do that because he'll see in my face just wonderful, wonderful joy and it'll be a great joy for him. Lastly, point three. Again, sorry the cliche. They all lived happily um, together, happily ever after. Look at verse 25 with me if you can as we close. The wolf and the lamb will feed together and the lion will eat straw like the ox, but dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountains, says the Lord. Now this is very common kind of Bible language for the restoration of the natural order in this world. So we know, don't we, that the wolves and lambs do eat together. And the, the lambs eat the grass and then the wolves eat the lambs. That's the kind of way at the moment. But in the new world, they will eat side by side. That's the point. There, there won't be predators and prey. We don't know if this is metaphorical or literal, and I guess it doesn't really matter so much. The big point is that the old order's gone and the natural world will be reconciled to itself and to God. There won't be death and fighting anymore. Animals won't need to eat each other for food. The old order is gone and the new world will be reconciled to one another and to God. Now, I guess some of us are slightly concerned at this point. Well, how can we do, uh, have an eternity without eating meat? I can see some of these Africans are sweating at this point. <laughs> Well, perhaps Isaiah 25, verse 6 is a comfort because it describes heaven as a banquet, a mountain drenched with fine wine and good meat. So panic you not. Perhaps, I don't know how it works. Perhaps a Philip straight uh, steak will grow on trees. You know, we can't be sure, but don't panic, right? What he is saying is that things won't be broken anymore. There's no more tsunamis. The The tectonic plates of this world will be at peace with one another, if you like. There'll be no more earthquakes that kill tens of thousands of people. The new creation will be at peace in itself and with God. But it's pretty poignant, isn't it? Dust will be the serpent's food. Now, there's, there's far more in that word serpent. And we could spend a whole 
sermon on that. The snake is, of course, symbolic throughout the Bible of what, who the devil is and his work. I'd love to spend time here. It points us back to, of course, Genesis 3 and the promises that God made to uh, his offspring that they will crush the serpent's head and the serpent will strike their heel. The point being here is that the serpent will not be part of the party in heaven because evil is not allowed there at all. Why? Because the serpent crusher has come and his name is Jesus. Satan will be eating dust in hell and he will never be allowed to tempt us out of the joyful banquet, all the presence of God. He won't be able to ruin anything. Two points quickly as we close. A little bit of application, I guess. Look forward with hope. In the words of Sinatra, the best is yet to come. So when we go on holidays, uh, of course we look forward to it, don't we? Some of us need a holiday and we're kind of longing for it, aren't we? We've, we've gone on the internet and we've kind of like taken pictures off and put them on our phones and we go, oh, look, can't wait, can you wait? It's be brilliant. And we show our kids, the anticipation builds up and we feed our hearts and minds on the fact that we're going to be there and it's going to be fantastic. You invest in your holidays. Let's invest in heaven. Let's think about it. Let's consider the price that has been paid for, for us to be there. Namely Christ and his death on the cross. See, how much, you invest, uh, how much time have you invested in life now versus the life to come? Why don't you make, you know, even if it's these verses, Revelation 21, there's many places which you can come back to. Why don't you use these verses this week just as you commute to work, as you get up and do your quiet times and, and time and pray them in and think, look of all the hope, the glorious hope that I have. It's wonderful. If we have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, the best is yet to come. So invest in it. Invest your hearts and your minds and your time in it. And secondly, and lastly, live with joy now. Investing in what is to come will help us deal, yeah, it will help us deal with tomorrow and today. People going on holiday, as I mentioned right at the beginning, they're going to the Maldives. We've got two weeks. You know the scenario. They've got all expenses paid. They're flying first class, which is lying down. How amazing is that? You know, it's, it's champagne, it's caviar, it's, and it's all expenses paid when they get out there. It's going to be the most wonderful day. Do they complain that the chairs in the departure lounge are slightly uncomfortable? No, of course they don't. Imagine you, you've got 10 days. This is more my thing. But, you know, you're going 10 days. You're going skiing. Five-star ho, the Banff Grand in Banff with the powder bowls that are there. And you've just got this most amazing time. You know, wonderful champagne every night for you. And do you complain about the rain at Heathrow as you take off? No. Because in comparison, to, why would we fuss about such things when we're going somewhere so amazing? The uncomfortable airport lounges or a small place in Earlsfield, the miserable weather, these are light and momentary things, Paul says, in comparison to the weight of glory that's to come. If, you'll see, if you see someone in the, the departure lounge complaining about the weather or the state of the seats there, what do you conclude about them? You have to conclude that they either don't know that they're about to get on the plane or that they don't believe that where they're going is very nice at all. Don't let that be true of you. See, if we're going to live more boldly for God, if we're going to be willing to sacrifice things in this life for God, if we're going to go out of our comfort zones as we invite people to hear about God, especially this week, it will primarily be 
because we are totally convinced of how good it will be in the life to come. We'll be less hostage, less of us will be hostages to life now because we'll be more hopeful of the wonders of the life to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please forgive us when we have been consumed by uh, what are blessings now, but they're not our ultimate joy, they're not our ultimate purpose, they're not our ultimate hope. Help us to see that anything that we struggle with now is light and momentary. We have so much to look forward to. You've completely blown our heads with this wonderful vision of the new heavens and the new earth. May not, that not be wasted. May we ponder these truths in our heart. May we, our lives be defined by this glorious hope that we have that has been bought for us by Jesus Christ's blood on the cross. We thank you for him. We rejoice in him and we long to see him face to face. Amen. Thank you. What words of great encouragement, that glorious hope. We're going to sing of that now.